God has given us an amazing gift, okay? You have the gift of today. And essentially what God has given you today, He's given you life, and He's given you freedom. He allows you to use this day as you will. And that is amazing. In the U.S., they say our life expectancy is about 78.7 years, so give or take a little bit there. Um, of course, as it says, we don't know when we're going to die, but on, on average, 78.7 years, how will you use those years? What will you do with those years? Now, during your life on earth, I am positive that one of the forces that will shape you and steer you will be fear. All right, It's not the only force but it is a force and an important one. It will influence both the momentous and the mundane decisions that you and I make virtually every day. What kind of car you drive, how fast you drive that car, who you marry or don't marry, um, where you go to church, or even if you go to church, do you have life insurance, how much life insurance do you have so many things? Who you vote for? How many things are influenced in our daily lives, both big and small, by our fears? And fear, of course, can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. But generally, there are two main fears that we have, and this is on the outline this morning. The fear of dying and the fear of living. I mean, pretty much everything else can be put into one of those two categories. The fear of dying and the fear of, of living. Uh, there was a scientific journal, uh, Cell, that reported that researchers have recently discovered that there is a gene inside the brain that they believe to be responsible for our fears. It's called Oncoprotein 18. And if you're thinking... Woo, I need to get the doctor and have that my levels measured or something. You may be someone who struggles with fear. Um, nothing to be afraid of there, but they've actually located the fear part of the brain. Now, to be sure, fears can be helpful to us at times, very good things at times, as they alert us to danger, as they, they kind of illuminate the way forward sometimes, and they point and, and, and they, um, they, they inform us, right? They're not helpful when they take over. They're not helpful when they control our lives. Uh, God speaks a lot in the Holy Scriptures about our fears. In fact, I've heard before, I have not gone through and counted, but I've heard before that the most oft-repeated command in the entire Bible is, do not be afraid. Sounds about right. Scripture is all is just covered with this admonition, this warning, this instruction, this teaching, do not be afraid. Um, and so as we talk about greater than in this series, God is greater than our fears. Listen to Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3. God is our strength and our refuse. He is always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans foam and roar. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. That last part of the verse basically says, Bring it on, life. God is with me. My trust is in something greater than anything this world can throw at me. Any punch or blow this world can deliver, God is greater than that. Psalm chapter, or Proverbs 3, verses 25 to 26. No need to panic over alarms 
or surprises or predictions that doomsday is just around the corner because God will be right there with you. He'll keep you safe and sound. Amen. So God wants for us to live lives that are not dominated by our fears, whether they be fears of dying or fears about living. Now, to Jesus, the one who conquered our greatest fears, who conquered sin, who conquered Satan, who conquered death, Jesus says in John 14, 27, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of heart and mind. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be troubled or afraid. Now, Jesus himself is going to cash this out for us this morning as we walk through one of his most famous parables, a story that teaches us about courage, a story that teaches us about fear. Before we get there, though, there is another theme that I believe is even present in the story Jesus is going to share with us this morning, and it is a theme called the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. Now, paradoxically... If you are going to live a courageous life, if you are going to live a life that is not controlled by all of the fears out there, you are going to need this foundational piece, which is the fear of God. It is a fear that releases you from other fears. There's a story about a man and a woman who are a husband and wife who are in their bedroom getting dressed one morning and, and you know, getting ready for the day. And, and the wife is, is kind of standing there in front of this full-length mirror. A look of unhappiness on her face as she examines her aging body. She sees an old woman. She sees the wrinkles. She tells her husband, that's what I see, a wrinkly old woman. I see flab and I see bulges in all the wrong places. And she turns to her husband and she says, honey, tell me something about my body that's good. And as any wise husband would do, he thinks very carefully before responding to that question. And finally, Softly and thoughtfully, he responds, Your eyesight is working perfectly. <laughs> and as he's working, walking into the emergency room a short time later, with his husband, with his wife behind him, he can be heard muttering something about the fear of God. Well, the fear of God is not that. Okay, The fear of God is really taking God seriously. If you want a nice religious word to go with that, reverence. Reverence. Taking God seriously. And it is a fear that when cultivated, when developed, when someone lives in the fear of God, all of the lesser fears become a lot less scary. When the fear of God towers over everything else, it essentially puts everything else in its rightful place. It is a blessing. In the New Testament, the early church was full of the fear of the Lord, and because of that, they were prosperous, successful, blessed, 
and happy. Check out the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 31. Listen to this description of what's going on in the culture and life of the church all over Israel. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Strengthened, encouraged, at peace, growing, because they were living in the fear of the Lord. And so when the fear of God is greater than all lesser fears, then you're set up for a courageous, adventurous life with the Lord. So, Matthew 25, Jesus teaches his followers about this truth in a story that is probably going to be familiar to you. The story goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a very, very wealthy man who decided that it was finally time to take his trip around the world, an extended vacation, a big, big journey. And as he was preparing to depart, he called three key servants to meet with him. And there in that meeting, he took all of his, all of his assets, all of his holdings, and he divided it up amongst them. Essentially, he signed power of attorney over to them. You all will manage my portfolio while I'm, going, I'm gone because I will be gone for quite a long time. One servant got five talents of money. Talent is kind of an, an ancient uh, financial uh, a currency, ancient currency, right? Five talents of money. I'll tell you this, scholars debate on what exactly that would uh, amount to today. And, and it's one of these terms in the Bible, they seem to have a good deal of difficulty precisely defining how much a talent is because you'll see everything from about three to $5,000 up to about a million dollars. So let's just call it, it's a lot of money. Let's call it $100,000. So he gets five talents, half a million dollars. Then he calls in another servant who he gives, uh, hands over about $200,000 or two talents, and then a final servant gets one talent, $100,000. Um, he doesn't dole out his money arbitrarily. Jesus is going to tell us in the story, but he does it according to their abilities. So he basically assigns the greater amount of money to the one who has uh, more business acumen, more business sense. Um, depending on their, their abilities, he assigns different amounts uh, of money. So he goes on his trip. How did the servants do? The one who had been given roughly the, the, the half million dollars does very well, puts the money in these investments, and is able to double the money. So has about a million dollars now. Um, then the second servant also does a great job managing the funds and doubles the money. The third fellow... Let's say he played it safe, or played it, maybe you could better to say he played it scared. He was scared, goes out in the backyard, digs a hole, and just buries the money. Um, so Jesus tells the story, and it's not really primarily, although it has something to say about our finances, our money, I think. It's not really primarily about money. It's really about life. It's about how you choose to live your life. It is about fears that can either paralyze you, that can freeze you, 
or release you to be the very best version of yourself. So let's talk about principles for courageous living from this parable right out of the gate. Jesus gives us the most important principle for courageous living. It is a principle of recognition. You can write that down on the outline. It is a principle of recognition, essentially saying, everything I am and everything I have comes from God. I am not truly the owner of anything that I possess. And so I live understanding that all I have is from God. Listen to how he starts the parable in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man, listen carefully, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Pop quiz. What did he entrust to his servants? His property. Whose property do they have? His property. And I don't know if you noticed, it says they are his servants. So, I belong to him and my stuff belongs to him. That is incredibly important if you are going to live a courageous life. Recognizing I didn't bring anything into the world. I'm not taking anything out of the world. Everything that I have and I enjoy is on loan from God to be used and enjoyed for His glory. Now Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6-7 essentially that. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. Hard to argue with Paul on that one. Yeah, that's the way it is. Um, I think I've told you before, I saw a bumper sticker in Brazil one time. It really made me crack up. On the back of a car in Portuguese, it said, Entrei nesse mundo, careca, nu e sem dente, o que vier é lucro. And that means, I came into this world naked, toothless, and bald. Anything that happens from here on out is gain. <laughs> it's all good from here on out. Well, Jesus wants us to know that a courageous life starts with a recognition that God is the source of all you. Here's how I like to look at it. My life is sponsored by God. I am sponsored by the creator and sustainer of the universe. That is who sponsors my life. Now, there's a quiet confidence in that, isn't there? There's a quiet confidence in knowing that God is the one who's the source of all that I have and who I am. The house I live in, the car I drive, the clothes I wear, the money in my bank, bank account, the ministry that I enjoy, uh, my family, my children, my wife, none of this actually belongs to me. It's all His stuff. Every relationship, everything that I enjoy, it's all His stuff. So sure, I get to enjoy the master stuff for 78.7 years, give or take. Um, but in the end, it all goes back to God. It all goes back to God. Now, Ortberg likes to talk about it like a, a Monopoly game. I think it's a pretty good analogy, a pretty good image of this. 
Uh, you've probably played Monopoly before. You know, you get the ba- box out and you open it up, and the first thing you do, whoever's the banker is going to distribute the money. And then as the game goes on, the properties get distributed. And then if you're doing well, you get some of those big red hotels or some of those little green houses, and somebody wins. But in the end, the same thing always happens. All of the stuff goes back into the box, right? It always ends up the same way. Everything goes back in the box. You came into the world with nothing. You will leave the world with nothing. You are enjoying God's stuff right now. And there's a lot of freedom in realizing that truth. Because I am not beholden to, I do not belong to what other people say about me. I do not belong to what other people think about me or what the culture says is right and wrong. I belong to God. You belong to God. Now, this sets us up for the next key to courageous living. So Jesus says that God trusts us with his stuff. Now, that doesn't mean that God hands us his stuff and then completely forgets about it. Okay, like he doesn't remember. Did I get... He doesn't get confused about it. He knows exactly what he gave us. He sponsored my life. He sponsored your life. And we can be sure that he is keeping an eye on his investment. And so at some point, God is going to say, All right. All right. Let's open up the books. Let's see how you have used everything that I generously loaned to you. So principle number two is a principle of responsibility. Responsibility. Um, I am motivated by the knowledge that the Lord will hold me accountable for the significant investment He has made in me. Matthew 25, verse 19. Here's how it goes down. After a long time, the master of those accounts returned and settled accounts with them. So the master is going to sit down individually with each one of the servants in the story and say, all right, let's see how you did with my stuff. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So it's not just for the three servants in the story. It is each one of us, this principle is. Each one of us will give an account to God. How did you do with the spouse I gave you? How did you do with those children I blessed you and your spouse with? How did you do with that job? How did you do with that? Oh, you got to go to college. I gave you that. How did you do with that? How did you do with that career? How did you do with all that money I let you have? He wants to know how we managed the blessings that he poured out on us. Remember, in the story Jesus told, not every servant gets the same amount of stuff. That may not sound fair. That may sound completely unfair to you, but you know, and I know, that's the way it works. Not everybody gets to have the same parents. Not everybody gets, gets to be born in the United States. Not everybody gets to be born in the great state of Missouri. Not everybody gets... Okay, that's where I was born. 
Not everybody gets an opportunity to go to college. Not everybody gets the same opportunities to make a whole lot of money. We don't all get the same amount of talents from the master. You can be bitter about that. You can live that way. You can live with resentment in your heart, thinking, I wish I had the opportunities that she had. I wish I was born with the ability to play the piano or, or, or the gift of, of playing the violin like that, or could do mathematics like him, or, or could make money like this other person. Or got. I wish I had those opportunities. So you can certainly sit around pouting, thinking, why did I get one talent? When she got five talents, or he got two talents. What's up with that? Now, that's not a very abundant way to live, um, but we all know people like that, <laughs> don't we? We know people who pretty much look through the lenses of their life, and they look out, and they're always the victim. They're always the person who got the short end of the stick. They're always the person who gets the least. They're always the one who gets ripped off. At least that's how they see things. And so they are always comparing themselves to everybody else. And somehow they always figure they got ripped off somehow. Jesus and Paul teach. Don't do that. Don't waste the beautiful, amazing life you have by comparing it with someone else's amazing, beautiful life. Take responsibility for the amazing, beautiful life God has given you. Take responsibility for today. Back to the story of the three servants. Each one has been given money to manage. Two boldly and aggressively invest their master's money and get a significant return on that investment. The third one, instead of being courageous, is just too paralyzed by fear and so digs a hole and buries it. Master comes home, just digs it back up and hands it back over to the master. When it was time to open the books, this is where things get real in the story. Verses 24 to 25, The man who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See here is what belongs to you. If you think about it, the servant is actually blaming the master. You're a hard man. Uh, you're, I know how you work. So the servant is blaming the master for essentially doing jack squat, for doing nothing with the master's stuff. His own words basically condemn him because basically his own words say, I know what kind of guy you are. You're a risk taker. You go out and you sow where you didn't even scatter seed. You are bold. You are... So I played it safe. So he's blaming his master and he's basically, the logic is all twisted up. Um, instead of investing what the master's given him, he blames the master 
for his failure and the master's response some of the most chilling words in the New Testament. Verses 26 to 30. The master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. And he, figured, he sees the logic here. He's like, So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown. And I gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. That first guy who doubled his money, take his money, give it to that guy. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have... Empty pocket there. Whoever does not have, who has empty pockets there, even what he has will be taken from him. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a good outcome at all. And before you say, that is so unfair, that is so wrong, you know this makes sense. And you don't have to be a believer. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't even have to accept the authority of the Bible to say this is a universally true principle. So write this one down. Number three, risk-taking. I know that the Lord hasn't asked me to play it safe. Risk-taking. I know that the Lord hasn't asked me to play it safe. So what is this universal principle that we know to be true? What we know... What we know is that when we take the little bit we have and we put it to work, it grows. Yeah, money, for sure. Um, if, you bury, if you hide your money under your mattress, you're not going to have more money. If you, if you just do the safest thing ever, buy T-bills or something, you're going to have more money. We know that if you take the... the the body that you have, okay, the muscles or lack of muscles that you have, and you get up early and you start working out and you work out every day and you try to eat better, we know your body gets stronger. Those muscles get bigger. And the opposite is also true. Wherever you're at today, you can be positive, whether you're weak or strong today, that if you do absolutely nothing with your body, you will atrophy and get weaker. We know, and it's, studies are proving this all the time, especially when we're talking about folks who, as they age, we know that if you use your mind, your reading and your thinking and you're playing chess or like my dad does, you're playing Scrabble, you're working out your mind all the time, it gets sharper, it gets stronger. You decide to binge watch Jersey Shore for a week, it atrophies. You kill off the gray matter. We know that's how it works. Jesus tells us that's how it works spiritually as well. Because guess what? God set up the universe to work this way. So fear of the Lord, taking God seriously, involves some boldness. It involves some risk-taking. It involves exercising our spiritual muscles. So be bold in loving other people. 
Be bold in sharing your faith. Be bold in giving generously of your money to the church. Be bold in the way you pray to God. Be courageous. Be bold right now, today, because guess what? You may not get tomorrow. None of us has a guarantee of tomorrow. And in the story, the servants don't exactly get a heads up that the master, he's going to be home in two weeks. He's going to be home day after. They don't get a heads up. What they get is a surprise. Suddenly he's there and he's saying, let's open the books. Let's see what you did. And I mean, I guess this might sound kind of morbid, but I think it's true. And I think it can help us kind of orient ourselves just to kind of acknowledge, look, everybody around you has a terminal disease. All the person sitting beside you, the people sitting behind you, the people everybody has a terminal disease. We all have an expiration date. Okay? Whether you're in the golden agers class or in the nursery today, you have an expiration date. We don't know exactly how much time we have. We just know we have limited time before we experience physical death. So be courageous today. Not I'll start that tomorrow or next week. So, so really, finally, a fuel for greater than living, for courageous living, uh, the final fuel for this is the expectation of reward. The expectation of reward. Number four, reward. I know that the Lord has good things in store for me in this life and in the life to come. Obviously, when Christians think about reward and their discipleship, they most often or most easily think about heaven. They think of eternal life. They think of paradise with God. Very valid, but there is this more general principle at work. And this involves reward. We already talked about a part of it. As we exercise what He has given us, we get more. For brain cells to muscle mass, financially it works that way. In terms of faith, it works that way. As we take what God has given us and we use it wisely, we get more right here, right now. And we also get more in the life to come. Listen to this in, in, in verse 21. The master replied, we're talking about the two servants that did well, that multiplied the money. The master replied, well done, a good and faithful servant. Attaboy, girl. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. You worked this stuff out. You used it. You, you, got in, you, you were courageous. You were bold. It grew. Now come and share in my happiness. The servant sits down with the second uh, servant there, the one that took the, the two talents and multiplied those, and, and listen to what he says in verse 23. Master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So there is a reward that we look forward to. We look forward to God blessing us in the here and now as we are wise stewards using, working with, fearlessly and boldly that which He has given us from our 
relationships, to our money, to opportunities that we are given, to our health, and we look forward to everlasting life as our ultimate reward. Know this this morning. God is greater than your fears. Jesus Christ, through His death, His burial, and His resurrection, has essentially taken the greatest things that we fear and shown that He conquered them. Our sin, our death, the enemy conquered. So fears, yeah. Fears can be good. Um, They're meant to serve us. They're meant to inform us. They're meant to train us. Don't touch that hot stove. They're meant to, to work to protect us and bless us as God intended for them to do. However, they do a really lousy job when it comes to running our lives. Fears do a lousy job as CEOs of our lives. Fear of God is important because it puts all other things, all lesser fears, in their place. And it frees us up to live courageously. So, here's where we're going to finish. I want you to think about your life. Is there an area in your life where you know you need to be more courageous? Where you need to face down your fear and make a courageous decision. And that brings us to maybe a specific decision, a specific choice that you've been needing to make for a while, but you've been putting it off because you've been afraid. If there's an area in your life where you know what you need to do, you know what the right decision or the right choice is, and you have been putting that off, you've been delaying that, you've been kicking the can down the street, Do you believe that God is greater than your fears? Will you step out and begin to live courageously? And it starts with that decision that you know you've been needing to make. And maybe it's a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Surrendering your life to Christ. I'll be honest with you. That's a big big decision. In some ways, it is a costly decision. Because you're turning over the lordship of your life to Jesus. If you're ready to put on Christ and believe that He is greater than those fears that have been holding you back, you can do that this morning. But you're trusting Christ, be baptized into Christ, and begin to walk in a powerful relationship with Jesus. However you need to respond, maybe you just need prayers this morning, prayers for more courage, or prayers for a specific situation that you are afraid of. Respond to God as we stand together. Offer our lives to God this morning.